Welcome back to the Battle Axis. I'm Dirk Bradley. And I'm Warren Rustborough. Due to an unplanned planar exodus, Metal and Mana's Battle Axis quest has been postponed. Instead, we continue with the Wild Company's extermination quest. After a run-in with an unending horde of kobolds, the company has begun making their way deeper into the subterranean floor of the Battle Axis. Rusty, this toy box has no bottom, and the company is on the hunt for their favorite, Clean Up Claire. I'm not familiar with Clean Up Claire. Oh yeah, the mop girl from Closet Club? I'm fairly well versed in divination products, Dirk, yet I've never heard of the Closet Club. Please enlighten me. Oh, well, I mean, everyone knows that Claire has a secret romance with Potato Pete, but the bucket's been a rival from Pantry Pals. Oh, oh, and when Broomhilda finds out that Baking Sonia's been playing both sides, ah, oh, that takes me back. Getting back to the topic at hand, the Wild Company has had a difficult time keeping a full team. With Vilberg's reassignment to hero rank and Spark Spell Puncher tending to unknown personal business with a Kiltus Bumblebrew, the Aethernauts Guild has had to cast a wide net to find a party member which matched the Wild Company's unique, gritty style. And grits they've found. The roly-poly himself, Roland Breakbridge, has lumbered on scry. You can bet this backwater butterball has a cornhole that's jam-packed with folksy hominies. Breakbridge is a hardened champion of the local League of Upsilon T9 better known as the Prairie of Windriders. This champ's taken more blows to the chopping block than Cuthbert Cutting Board, and yet the Prairie Dog keeps poking his head out. And this frontline fighter-slash-barbarian has truly proven his salt. The father of three has unofficially broken the champion rank damage soak record last season. The record is currently held by Cal Unkillable, and being outside the battle axis, the Break Bridge's accomplishments remain local. But having held off the bulk of the Cobalt Assault, could Break Bridge make history? Find out now in the Battle Axis. Iavo sits with his vet, the woman who cared for him in his long convalescence, while he was afar in the withering acre. Tell me, why? Why was it your burden to care for my enabled form? I suppose I should do my best to tell you the whole story. According to Father Clovich, you were found, a young boy, near the charred remains of a disused farmhouse. I arrived some years later and was assigned to care for you. We managed a monastery that doubled as a asylum for those who were terminally unwell. You were non-responsive, but clearly alive. You were fed on mashed foods and water, which you would swallow if given. But beyond that, you would simply stare. Sometimes in the night, you would wander the monastery, staring at things as though you'd never seen them before. When we asked what you were doing, you would reply, only dreaming, and eventually return to bed of your own accord. In time, you began to mutter strange things. Scriptures, I think. I wrote them down. I don't know why. I, I suppose as a woman of faith, I felt I needed to. It's good I did. In times when I lost my faith, I would turn to your strange gods, and they would grant me some odd comfort. I began to dream of them, and I knew they wanted me to care for you. My fellow clerics, they didn't know of my crises. Eventually, Father Clovich died. 
Brother Achette, he took to the long roads to bring the word of Odette, my God. Sister Almea was kicked by a horse. She became non-functional and eventually choked to death on her own tongue. It went like that for a long time. We lost our faithful, and with no new acolytes, the monastery could no longer house those who sought asylum. And so, eventually, I traveled with you. Could not leave you there to rot, and I didn't have the heart to give you the gift of death. You followed easily enough, despite your condition. I refused to lay by my responsibilities until you had returned to our world. It became my only purpose, really. I sought healers and sorcerers, and I'm ashamed to say, even necromancers. None could grant me what I sought. <laughs> it was an engineer of all things. A strange man with a strange device. Some plainer nonsense. I did not I knew nothing of it. I as far as I knew, the the planes were the ones that were near to us, and even that magic seemed so far beyond me. But he said he could help locate you. I, I told him he, he's right here. But he was speaking of your soul. His device brought me here. To be honest, if I had known they would take you from me, I I never would have brought you here. But when I learned that you had awoken, I wept with joy. I'm pleased to finally meet you, Ayavos. So you've been keeping an eye on me since I was just a child? To the best of my ability. I'm just a cleric. I Sometimes on the road, dangers would present themselves that I was not certain I would be equipped to handle, but something guided me, something protected me. I thought it was my god, but I think it might have been yours. So the words that I spoke in my state give you strength? Very much so. The truths of the Withering Acre saved you as they have saved me? <sighs> I believe so. How long were we together? How old is this body? <laughs> I am a woman of sixty. By our calculation, you would be somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty-eight. Yet in dreams, I existed for hundreds of years. These things are beyond my understanding. I simply serve my god to the best of my ability, and even this place is beyond my understanding. When I came here, I nearly fainted from the vastness of it. They allowed me free passage back to my home plane, but I did not stay long. I simply waited, waited by the door, hoping that they would allow me back to say hello, to meet you. And now I have, and I still don't know quite what I want to do. You've put yourself in danger by coming here just to see me in my awoken state. Yes. Yes, I have. I fear that the me you knew may have been truer than what you see now. I'm not concerned with truth. Not really. I'm more concerned with your well-being and finding out what I'm supposed to do next. I'm in the same place. They have me playing at this game, this pageantry of violence, and yet this was the path I was put on. I feel as though... I would have never seen myself in such a place, but I feel my family's hand has guided me here. It's a challenge, a burden that I must carry. I, I found my things from the place of my dreams, real. Gesturing to my robes and all the items that hang from me. I thought them odd. 
when you approached, I thought maybe you had dug in the garbage to find things to wear. These are the garments that I wore there. These are the tools that I used to learn to become who I am today. Would you do me a kindness? I owe you many kindnesses. I would like to know more of your withering acre. If you find the time between your busy schedule of violence pageantry, could you could you elucidate your scriptures? In word, perhaps. I feel strange about writing them down, for they change from day to day. But there are many truths to be spoken, many songs to be sung. I see. I hope I see you now in these strange vestments. The only symbol of my faith is this stone ring. I would feel incomplete without it. I wonder, do you, do you feel incomplete at all? I feel that there are many mysteries on my road that I will uncover. Many more gifts, clues as to why I'm here, as my family aids me in this task. I wonder then if this is yours. She bends down and opens a pack. And from it, she pulls a strange old dusty bottle and sets it on the table. I recognize this vessel. This was my sister's. She used it for magic. The magic of alchemy, tinctures, always changing. She said there were other worlds inside. It was one of her most precious possessions. Last night I dreamt of two people standing at a table. It smelled strongly of potions and components. And when I awoke, I found this sitting on my nightstand. I think it's yours. He takes it lovingly in his hands, wiping a little bit of the dust off of the faded label that's illegible, looking inside, seeing a kind of bizarre fluid that seems to change. And he takes it and tucks it into the uh, many straps of his belt where items hang. Thank you for this gift. You said that you wish to find more of the truths that I discovered. I do. You know where to find them. They're in the dreams. Move past the Black Forest, beyond the city walls. You too will find the withering acre. You will hear the songs of the mother and read the tomes of the sister, travel the roads of the son, and feel the strength and leadership of the father. And then at your road's end, perhaps you too will meet Child the Third. They are there waiting for you, as they are all of us. I have much to consider. She looks up and sees rain. And it seems our time together has come to an end. One last question, if I may. Of course. This name, Iavos Isadora. Did you give it to me? Or did I bring it from my dreams? As I said before, you were found near a burned home. No name, nothing meaningful to you. I just simply called you the child. If you have a name, it may be of that place that you were, or it may have been the name you had before. But if it sounds true, I think that's what matters. Will I see you again? That woman, that orc, she tells me that when you become a hero, you are allowed company, uh, visitors. I would like to think that you would choose me for whatever... Permissions, you're granted. There is nothing 
I value more than family, and while my mind was gone, I feel that here, in this place of reality, you are the closest thing I have to such a thing. As you say that, Rain approaches the table. It is time you were going, Sister Isvette. She straightens up her robes and stands, takes your hand and kisses you gently on the knuckles, and then walks out where she is met by two men in steward's uniforms. I hope that does something to instill trust in us. I am here for the long haul, whether or not I trust you, but I do have much gratitude for this gesture. At that, Rain moves over to the bar and grabs a large bowl and sets it in front of you. Inside, you see a kind of a thick white noodle with a murky brown broth inside, green onions and what looks like a slice of ham. I'm very fond of stew. Mother kept a stew going at all times. There is a pot of boiling stock. The embers push back fear and cold. She adds in scraps and keeps it hot. Its endless flavor feeds the fold. Avo slides the spoon away, picks up the bowl with both hands, and begins to drink deeply. Beautiful. The, the rich flavors and fishy broth are familiar, but somehow also very, very new. You never had anything like it before, but you've had things that are a little bit like everything. Gentle tears stream down Ayavos's cheeks as he smiles, gulping back a mouthful of noodles. You finish your food across from Rain, the two of you, silent. When you're finished, she escorts you back to your place of residence. Before she leaves, she turns to you and says, You did a fantastic job, truly. Better than we could have expected. We were worried about your health, but you've proven that you are a capable adventurer. I hope that you do as well off-world. I'm still curious why me. As are we. But it turns out we'll get to see soon enough. In two days' time, you'll have a new quest, something off-world. You'll be meeting with Fimber at a small cafe called Xerxes on the Ring. But until then, I'll leave you to it. Have the others been informed of this quest? They will be. I don't want any favoritism. I'm quite fond of them. Of course. Rest well, Mr. Isadora. That has never been a problem. Tomorrow's a new adventure, and she walks away. As is tonight. Two days pass. What does Iavos do during those two days? Iavos is very interested in trying to learn about Zenith and the ring and even the battle axis. His mind racing with questions, his curiosity turning into a hungry animal seeking information. And he starts by trying to learn by observing, watching the local people who live here, the businesses, wandering the streets and the markets, asking some of the handlers that he comes across if he has access to books. But then he learns from going from market to market that there are places that sell books and using what he considers his considerable wealth. He's going to see about buying some books that regard the history of Zenith or the Plains and just the things that happened while he was in another world. Yeah, you actually do find quite a bit. Lots of number one bestsellers and other hot ticket items, big glossy covers with high profile pictures. And none of that interests you quite as much as the historical documents, the pages upon pages of, of nitty gritty detail and, and complex uh, interrelational and interfinancial issues that came about from trying to create this, this impossible satellite. 
you eventually manage to acquire some really meaningful and useful information, as well as some bubblegum tourist books that help you chew through what it's like to live here. He also finds a very curious book called Cloak of Thunder, Tongue of Storms, <laughs> the autobiography of Stormclad Thundertongue. Yes, indeed. <laughs> covered with L-U-Q insignia. Exactly. Just branded to hell. <laughs> what a... Poor writer. There's <laughs> <laughs> a, a picture of a storm on the inside jacket cover of him in jungle shorts, just fucking, like polishing his his carriage. It's a it's a back shot Vogue over the shoulder of storm. Exactly. <laughs> About the author, <laughs> Penny. What do you do during this time? After sustaining this interruption of this very strange character and this strange message, Penny is going to return to her sword and shield and ponder over the the meaning of its inability to be polished further before taking up both and sighing and she's gonna actually go and look for some training excellent you do actually find that there are multiple gymnasiums in hub that are more than open to novice members inside you find a fair number of people who are willing to spar with you and though there are coaches you need to sign up for them and they take a long time to become available and so you mostly just stick to your personal practice okay in that case uh this is great because i'm looking for like the next step up from the training that she's been doing so some live practice is a perfect way to uh, try to apply those fundamentals and she's just going to work on that for the rest of the day. As soon as you start sparring with people, the shield no longer feels so alien on your arm. It's almost as if it just feels natural, like it's part of who you are. You don't remember training enough to justifiably gain proficiency, but you now have shield proficiency. As Penny finishes kind of the this last round of training, she'll kind of sink over uh, on a bench against a wall and kind of stroke the shield and the sword and whisper to it. You chose to go on this journey with me, and I am so sorry that I have neglected you. From now on, I will do better. Excellent. What's Gaspar doing during this downtime? Gaspar is going to get some practice using his class feature of Whispers of the Dead, having Nepet tutor him on... How to use an alchemist supplies. Excellent. He's going to procure the ingredients to make probably just a basic poison. Mm-hmm. So using Gaspar's proficiency with a poisoner's kit and the proficiency he gets from Nepet with an alchemist supplies, attempt to collaborate. Excellent. The spirit seems resistant at first, but in time it learns its place and follows orders fairly effectively. You're able to piece together some alchemical basics enough to at least use a kit to effect. And what's Hal doing in the next two days? So Hal spends some time at like a sports bar watching EXPN, watching the feed, listening to the analysts, seeing what they could have done better in their quest. And there's a lot of coverage over the fight with the great uncle. Hal recognizes he wasn't really mentally present during that moment. He kind of slipped into the zone and just went off on this thing. And that's something that he thinks there's power there, and he can see that. And so he goes to a sparring ring somewhere, and he tries to find that place again and just lets people beat the hell out of him as long as he can stay conscious. Hmm. 
as you start getting into some of these sparring matches, it starts off with you getting beaten a little bit, but you find that your body doesn't seem to let you get beaten. Every time you try to let yourself take a few hits, you find yourself blocking, parrying, diving in and, and attacking as per usual. You're almost falling into these grooves, these repetitive actions that you can't seem to fight. And then you come up against someone who you do not know. He's a hero. Simple. Nothing fancy about him. And when he challenges you, you're not quite sure what to expect. And then he starts soundly beating you, outthinking you in every move. His ring IQ is far better, and you find yourself struggling to keep up. And then you're standing over him, his nose bloodied, he seems horribly injured, and you have somebody pulling you away. You don't know what happened, but you think you achieved what you were looking for. After your two days of downtime, the four of you get onto a local taxi and find yourselves on the ring. You meet Fimber Huelen at a cafe called Xerxes, but the sign is odd. It's spelled X-E-R-X-E-S apostrophe S-E-S, as though somebody didn't know how to make Xerxes a possessive and wrote something wrong on the form. <laughs> Inside is a small, dingy cafe. The walls, however, are lined with art, beautiful art. They predominantly feature fractal patterns that, when looked at from the right angle or with eyes blurred, seem to have faces inside of them. Fimber is sitting at a small table with four more chairs pulled around it, and he gestures you forward. Good day, Fimber. How are you now? I'm good. And you? Quite well. Hope you all fared well during your downtime. Hal, is that a new scar? Maybe. I can't always keep trick. Penny flexes a little bit and rubs her sore shoulders, eager to take a seat. Excellent. As soon as you sit down, Fimber gestures to the barista. Your eyes are drawn to him immediately. He is a prescus. They have four arms, two primary at the shoulder and two smaller, thinner helper arms at the ribs. They have a long face, not unlike a horse, and they're covered with fine fur in complex patterns. This man, who you assume is Xerxes, has dark purple-brown fur with what looks like an electrical discharge pattern in white moving from his throat down across his bare chest. The man comes forward with a tray of what look like simple coffees and sets them down. He nods to you. I almost eagerly picks one up and sips at it. Oh, revitalizing. Wonderful. Those of you who are familiar with coffee can tell that this is exceptionally good. Penny inhales deeply and lets out a contented sigh as she seems to relax into her seat. Gaspar is going to put the dwarven head on the table so that the nose is just over the cup. And he's just going to smell the coffee. <laughs> Hal drinks his, but he really doesn't appreciate the quality. He's a basic Baba Java bitch. This is above his, above his level. Sure. It's very rude to put elbows and heads on the table, Gaspar. <laughs> <laughs> I do apologize. I'll take the head off and the cup of coffee and just hold them on my lap. Penny then looks up at the server and noticing that he has no clothes on. Oh, is is that allowed here? The Brescas have microorganisms in our fur that consume all leavings and eliminate most bacteria. We make ideal cooks. Oh, how fortunate. Indeed. Was that a yes or a no on, the, on being naked here? Best not. Oh. He walks away and looks back at Penny curiously and shakes his head and goes to cooking a new order. Apologies for Xerxes. He's a good lad. Does his best. 
Honestly, it's the best coffee you'll find anywhere in Zenith. Everybody thinks they make the best. This is the best. Tiny little place. Surprise area, but to keep themselves open. I fear the wall art might be quite disorienting if one had too many adult beverages. Oh, he loves his daughter. And he's willing to do anything to support her art. <laughs> Fascinating. Is there any cream or sugar on the table? Yeah. Penny is going to make a very sweet and light coffee. As soon as you finish your little concoction, you look up and see that Xerxes is just staring daggers at you. Uh, she sheepishly begins sipping her drink. Shakes his head. Um, part of the reason why I brought you here is actually because the quest that we've been given is by Herzuska, Xerxes' friend. They've been friends for a long time, but Herzuska decided to take on the life of a colonist. Right now, he's currently the farman of a colony in Row Kaith 43. Everything was fine when they got there. There were already established buildings. They assumed that some kind of cataclysm had wiped them out a long time ago. But recently, they've noticed some of the colonists have gone missing. So they commissioned a luck team. That's where you come in. Normally, we don't like to give off-world quests, but Xerxes is a friend of mine. Shazuska is a friend of Xerxes. And I'd like to think that we can become friends. Is it common for novice-ranked teams to go off-world? Not at all. It's not necessarily forbidden, but most people don't request them. Usually, if you're going to be requesting a team, you usually want to find somebody who's hero or higher. But you all have shown yourselves to be a little bit better than your average novice-ranked team. And, frankly, none of the other heroes are interested. This colony, you said it was a farmstead? No, it's uh, many things. It's mostly just trying to get itself established as anything it can. They're uh, doing some... Uh, geological surveying, trying to see if they can find some good minerals. They're doing tests on the soil to see if it'll support a good farm. Anything they can. You have to understand that when you're dealing in interplanar deals, especially on hub worlds, it's not uncommon for colony opportunities to pop up when they find empty or disused planes. And uh, often it's the only option you have in worlds that are overpopulated or just don't have opportunities for you. So where do we come in? Well, your job is to go there and find out why the people are missing. And ideally, neutralize the threat, if there is one, or uncover it so that we can take the appropriate action. Seems like a very worthy cause for this fledgling civilization need of heroes. That it is. Now, I'm not sure how much experience you all have with going to material planes other than your own, those of you who are from material planes. About 300 points of experience. <laughs> I have visited a few planes before. As I'd imagine. You're um, from Abel originally, yes? This is correct. Good. Then this shouldn't be too odd for you. Basically, we're going to be getting you to a gate, and you're going to be stepping through. You're going to find yourself in front of a gate beacon. It's not a proper gate yet, which means it needs time to recharge, so you might not be able to return immediately. Are there any extremes on this plane? Weather? Gravity? It's going to be cold. From what I understand, the gravity's a little high, but nothing you'll notice. So be sure to get yourself out for cold weather, as best you can. I also know it's rocky and mountainous. So, anything you need for climbing gear or spelunking, that'll be safe. Not my strong suit. It's okay. I think I can do it enough for both of us. <laughs> I'm still a little foggy on some of the aspects of our bookkeeping, as I've been relegated to do the task for the team. Uh, we have 400 gold with which to kit ourselves for such a quest. That you do. And I believe we have yet to receive the gold from our battle axis quest. Oh no, that'll be in your account. An account, so not coin. No, uh, it can be withdrawn as coin if you like. Uh, basically, every time you complete a quest, 
the standard amount of money that you're getting is getting put into an account which you can withdraw or use as you need to. The idea is that they're kind of holding your money for you because there's a good chance you're going to need to spend it and reacquire it and spend it and reacquire it. So keeping it out in cash doesn't really make a lot of sense. The strange practice of trust. Why? Then it's in our account then. And we currently have eight and a half glory. Yes, you do. Oh, no. You actually have the original four that you walked in with. Plus the eight and a half. So you should have about 12.5, which is a lot. Until you realize how much everything costs. And what does one do with half a glory? Nothing. You wait until you get more. Very well. This answers a few of my note-taking questions. <laughs> Any others? Standard rewards. That there are. You're going to be getting about 50 gold. And you're also going to be walking out with whatever you can carry, if you have the mind to do so. Though these are colonists, so try not to steal from them. Are there any beers? I think there are brewers there, but I don't think they're set up at the proper brewery. Not, not, not beer. Beers. Bills? No. Ursine creatures. Oh, bears. Oh, are there bears there? I don't think so. Huh. I don't know. I didn't get a wildlife report. Could use another rug. Spending much time with young Hal has given me appreciation for the letter E. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever works for the lot of you. You don't have to be there until tomorrow, but I'd say make haste. The sooner you get it done, the sooner you get paid. And this will be a standard quest, which means it will be scried. It's public viewing. And um, I think that's it. I feel good about this one. What could go wrong? Sorry for piling so many on you. There's a lot of quests to take in such short order. Enjoy your coffee. i got places to be. And yeah, just don't tell anybody about the place. Because um, I don't want to have to fight for a seat. Understood. So... The rest of the day passes seamlessly. You all kind of mentally and physically prepare yourselves for the task ahead. Uh, most of you still needing a little bit of rest and recuperation before a new quest. The next day, you find yourself at your nearby quartermaster. Bagworth is not there to greet you. Instead, you see a Duragar, a deep dwarf, who is handling the task. Is there any special gear you'd like to requisition beyond your last equipment? Uh, according to the... Uh document I wrote up about our loadouts from the previous quest. It would seem that uh, if we were to invest in some cold weather clothing and a climbing kit, should we need to utilize such a thing, uh, as well as one healing potion, which while we didn't use last time was a very nice uh, bit of insurance, uh, we have just shy of 20 gold left over. If there's anything you could think for us to purchase, it puts us at about 20 rations should we need to feed ourselves. Is there... Room in the budget for a tent. Perhaps some shelter in case it snows. Yes, I will add such a thing. Two tents for two people each. Perhaps just one big one, in case we don't want to be separated. I imagine they cost the same. Oh, I, I almost forgot. Penny slips the ring of the hidden mind onto her finger and admires it for a moment. You have to report that. I, yes, of course. Where do I write it down? Hmm. One moment. He steps away for a moment and then comes back with what looks like a card. The card has slots indicating what magic items you have, and he gives you four each. It basically shows a diagram of a person's body with several physical slots, and then it has underneath it several spaces for miscellaneous items that don't fit on a body. Okay, Penny will jot it down in the appropriate place and, and, and look around at everyone else. Is anyone else bringing their, their new items? Yeah, I've got one. I lean forward and I write down the ring that I've got. Oh, I already wrote down the ring. Oh, no, it's this. Uh, it's my other one. I didn't bring it on the list, Quist. You probably should have, if it's useful. No, I uh, found it. Oh. 
Well, I have nothing but the items that I normally carry, plus uh, uh, more spell components than before. Gaspar is going to write down the Harness of the Waterborn and the Skull of the Restless Dead. I guess he will say to the group, And I will be wearing this Harness of the Waterborn. He is then going to write down on the form the Harness of the Waterborn and the Skull of the Restless Dead without mentioning it to the group. Marvelous. And in addition to our loadout, uh, I think we'll give the healing potion to Penny for the carry this time, if that sounds good. And all of the extra rations, climbing kit, and tents I'm attaching to Hal's backpack. (laughs) (laughs) Seems fair. I will bear this for you. As soon as you're done kidding yourself out and handing over the required documentation to the Durgar, you board another taxi and find yourself back to the ring. Eventually, walking to gate Lambda 6, as all gates, it is guarded by a team of standard security guards, but this one has been specifically requisitioned for luck and it is not accessible to outside users. As you approach, a steward comes up to you. They seem to be of elvish descent with kind of a deep red skin and uh, sharp green eyes. Hi there, everybody. So, I think you are Gold Dragon, right? That is the name we were given, yes. New novice ranked team doing an off-world quest. Gotta be exciting. Woo! Yeah? Yeah. This one knows what I'm talking about. All right, uh, everybody kitted. Ye? Indeed, we sir. Are ready. All equipment documented? That is correct. Okay, well, uh, if you have any trouble, your your little bracelet, that's not going to do a damn thing, okay? Uh, this is not the battle axis. You push that button, we can't save you. So uh, don't die, and uh, don't get in trouble. Well, that sounds easy enough. Rules to live by outside of quests as well. <laughs> right? I know. So, yeah, go ahead and step on through as soon as the gate comes up. And from what I know, you guys got a beacon on the other side that's got about a two-day charge time. So uh, we won't be able to get you back for a while. At least not until they build a proper ring. How do we utilize this said beacon once it is recharged? Oh, well, it's pretty easy. Just a push-button system. But, uh, yeah, it'll start, it'll start bleeping at you once it's ready. I'm sure I can decipher the runes therein. Sure. I think it's in common, but... Whatever you need. One man's common is another man's exotic tongue. <laughs> he walks over to an arcane console, begins fiddling with it, and as soon as he's done, that same shimmering skin of portal appears. Some of you have seen it before. Some of you, never. But all of you are taken aback by the kaleidoscopic skin of the thing. You see worlds crashing in on themselves, textures and colors that you could almost not even imagine. And as you approach it and touch your hand to the skin of it, you can feel a warmth and a sense of home, all pressed down by a homesickness that you can't shake. You step through the portal and immediately are bombarded with biting cold as the frigid winds of Row K-43 cut through your cold weather gear and leave you shivering. Welcome back. I'm Warren Rustborough. And I'm Dirk Bradley. After a devastating loss at the hands of the Adrachai, Battle Axis quests have been temporarily suspended until the next contraction displaces the wandering nightmare of the Infinite Dungeon. We now go live to Page Theta Row with the surviving members of the Wild Company. Thank you, Dirk. 
I'm here with the Wild Company, whose temporary team member Roland Breakbridge was tragically lost. Vindus, can you tell us what went through your mind when your ally was taken from you? I just... 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 Couldn't stop... Stop running... Shh, shh. It's okay, buddy. Nothing you could have done. Did... Did he just go all storm-clad and comfort himself? Vindus was subject to some interplanar interference during an experiment. Flox and I can field your questions. Thank you. Verena Atera. Few have survived the Odruchai, and given how it interferes with divination magic, we have limited information regarding its appearances and method of attack. Can you tell us about what exactly you saw? I tried to look, tried to understand. But by the time I realized what I was seeing, I was already running. I ran, Paige. I ran. Because I'm a coward. It should have been me. He bought us time. He saved us. He never wanted to join the Axis because he didn't want his children to grow up in a place like this. He protected us. And now there's nothing left to protect them. Phlox, are you ready to speak? You remain behind to help Roland. <sighs> Tall, dark, a warm, wet, red dark, like a womb. It did not light back. Break Bridges felt three axe was sticking out of its neck. But no blood. Just uh, acceptance. I felt it too. Reached out like a mother. Roland, he kept fighting. Those son of a bitch kept fighting. Well, it pulled him apart and turned the pieces into something else. I don't remember how I got here. Spark. Spark, how did I get here? Spark's not here anymore, Flox. That's what... That's why (laughs) That's why we're still alive. Random chance. The flip of a coin and we got Roland instead. If we were all together, there'd be nothing left of us. I don't want to do this. Uh, The the producers, they said... uh, Not now. We have to get the interview. I said not now, damn it. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. We're about to witness a planar phenomenon, a keyhole between worlds that only marketing can penetrate. Join me as we glimpse into the adverse. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling-medical-investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Something evil has entered these woods. This forest is my home. I move like a shadow. I speak to the old growth. I hunt that which challenges the balance of nature. Something wicked is near. I remain silent, unseen, invisible in this bush, my favorite terrain. What? What is this? The bushes are all being cut away. The undergrowth is being sheared cleanly. Only a smooth, soft earth remains in its place. How could this be? I have found you, Bushranger. You couldn't hide from my power. Foul wizard, what have you done to this thick grove? Aha! I have gained a new gift since last we did battle. You live in this dirty old growth, hiding from me and the world. Well, now I have the power of Manscaped, and with the tools they have given me, I can cut away any bush and reveal that which hides inside. Gasp! The Lawnmower 4.0 has ceramic blades and a guiding LED light to make sure you get a clean, safe shave using advanced skin-safe technology. And the Weed Whacker can get into hard-to-reach places, like your nostril. I... I've had this patch of bushes my entire adult life. But I must admit, it's so smooth and easy to navigate. I feel empowered. I can stand tall and reveal myself to the world from which I hide. Yes, I use Manscaped on my own arcane undercarriage as well. The toner and fresh fragrances they offer have given me powerful confidence and left me feeling refreshed. Yes, I see. This power of Manscaped is great indeed, but how could a simple ranger like me afford such great magic? Manscaped products are wonderfully priced and amazing quality. Not only that, but I saved 20% and got free shipping on the Performance Package Kit 4.0 by using code LUQ at checkout. Manscaped. It's time to get out of the bushes. Hey, LUQties. 
Welcome to the mid-roll. I've got stuff to say. It's hard to believe that we're already in the double digits for LUQ Season 2 Battle Axes. If you're enjoying the journey but haven't checked out the LUQ.com yet, you're missing out on links to all of our social media, information about the cast, news, merchandise, and of course a direct line to our Patreon, where tons of LUQ and D&D rewards are waiting for you. Maps, magic items, stat blocks, bonus content, character sheets. If half the people who are undecided donated a dollar a month, we'd be that much closer to being able to make content full-time. And that means more LUQ and more Slapdash Media in the future. So think about it. If you join the high tiers of the Patreon, you could make a character for the Battle Axis to get mentioned in the show, or be mentioned among the legendary teams in the mid-roll. And that would sound something like this. Our legendary teams are the Titans Rise, the Forgotten Legacy, the Ceaseless Horde, and this week's featured team, the Twilight Concord, with Eerie Luna Rose, Maisie, Eshwin, and Christopher Mashburn. If you want to send something to Slapdash, be it fan art, gaming stuff, or maybe just maybe one foot by one foot wall hanging art for our studio, the P.O. Box is 230091, Tigered Organ 97281, no homemade food please. Join our Discord. It's awesome. These people rule. I'm serious. And the LUQ wouldn't be possible without the fans, and interacting with all of you every day is a treat for us. You know who you are, and you know how to join those ranks. We love you all very much. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel on Twitch for LUQ premieres, Pokemon Nuzlocks, and random gameplay throughout the week at twitch.tv forward slash slapdash streams. But enough out of me, let's get you back to the episode. What's for dinner, Mom? Cabbage and onions. No, I hate cabbage and onions. No fair. <sighs> I'd do anything if Tomothy would just eat his vegetables. Anything? Did I stutter? Excellent. If you sell your soul, your kids will eat their greens. Ho, 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 green devil. The frigid winds of Row K-43 render your cold-weather gear almost useless, and yet you can't even begin to imagine how much worse it would be without it. You take in the scenery. You stand on an uncompleted dais in a gate that is yet to be built. In front of you is what looks like an odd brass instrument built of whirling objects and a focus crystal. The crystal begins to power down as you pass through the skin of the portal. And then you see some of the smaller objects begin to spin up on it. You stand at the top of a rocky hill. To your left is a broad, low mountain. From various points on it, you see small streams that collect into a large river that flows down the mountain, past the hill on which you stand, and into a small village. Some of the buildings are fresh, cabins of recently charred green wood, Others old and weather-beaten. And there you stand, on the top of a cold hill, on a distant land. This seems hardly fair. Hal's practically made of fire, Penny's covered in fur, and Gaspar is half dead. I have a very low body fat content. <laughs> Before anyone says it, I'll just let you know, I agree, wearing a shirt underneath the coat probably would have been useful today. <laughs> This is quite fortunate. There's no snow. I just realized we probably should have gotten snowshoes, just in case. <laughs> Penny sighs loudly and looks at her mittens. I was hoping for snow. Difficult to play a flute with those, but they are quite charming. 
I know, they're so cute. <laughs> right, let's be decisive. Uh, that way, I think we should go. And Hal just points in an arbitrary direction. How about towards the village? As a suggestion, a democracy, yes? Okay, good teamwork, Iovos. Let's go that way. <laughs> There's an obvious path leading down the hill towards the village. As you make your way down, on the other side of the hill, you can actually see at the base of the mountain, what looks like a large set of stone ruins. You're not sure their original intent, but they seem like they might have been monastic in nature. As they're making their way down the, the winding hillside, Iavos takes a pair of metal tongs off of his belt that are covered with soot and holds them to his chest and using prestidigitation feels the hearth fire that they once tended to, to warm his old, old body. Oh, beautiful. As you approach the village, Apreskas comes to meet you. Gaspar is going to fall back to the rear of the formation and say, it is probably best that I'm not the first creature they see. <laughs> then he's going to pull up the furry hood of his cold weather garments in an attempt to just hide his stump. <laughs> yeah, it's like kind of limp. I like the idea that you have like I like the idea that you have like a wire basket that you put in it so that holds shape. Or and then... no, one of those big Russian hats, but it just sits on your stump. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Hojushka, uh, Shazulska. Oh, I apologize for my pronunciation of your tongue, Shazulska. He, like Xerxes, wears no shirt. He seems unaffected by the cold weather. His two smaller arms seem to be fiddling with what looks like a very complicated knot, presumably something that came about on accident from putting it in a bag, like knots are wont to do. His headphones. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> His fur is a deep crimson red, and there seems to be a fractal pattern emanating up from his sides, where his love handles are, up across his chest. It seems almost like a bulbous pointy form. You're the League Quest. We are who was sent. Mm. We are Gold Dragon. <laughs> you smell like undead. That's okay. Th that's kind of me, but... Not quite right. Exactly. All right. Fair enough. <sighs> well, we were told to expect strange people. I just didn't think quite so strange. Fair enough. <laughs> Not a waste of any of your time. There's three people you might want to talk to, or, I don't know, I could just tell you. Doesn't matter one way or the other. We've had some issues. Objects getting stolen. People gone missing. That kind of thing. I assume our priority is the people. Yes, obviously. So far, about six. Somebody recently sent out some people looking to do a survey. They never came back. Some people have gone missing from the nearby area. We don't know what to do. But we do know... That it's something here. There's a few folks you can talk to. First is Reth. He's the uh, pink lizard folk you see over there by the smithy. Then Felsa. She's a female human merchant. Uh, you can find her over there in those, near those warehouses. And um, then there's Loper. He's the uh, d dwarven cat thing. You'll find him about. He's uh, over on the work site. They're pounding out the ground, seeing if they can throw up a few more buildings. If you got any questions, go ask. Uh, very good. Uh, I assume that the group who was sent out on a kind of survey may have had some maps with them? <laughs> maps? There's no maps here. Unfortunate. We've only been here about six months. Not a lot of time to map anything out. Most of us are just trying to survive. You said, uh, you said you're pretty sure that whatever's 
making people go ways around here. That's right. Why don't you just move? Can't. Can't get too far away from the beacon, and this is the only place where the membrane is thin enough that we can puncture. Yeah. And we can't go to try to build a gate somewhere else. Plus, we don't know that it's any better anywhere else. For all we know, we move a few miles abroad and we find something worse. But that's what it's like to be a colonist. See, a lovely place you've got settled here. Yeah. All right, get moving. I got work to do. Okay, then. So, who do you all want to talk to? I heard there was a pink lizard man. I don't think I've ever seen a pink lizard man before. That sounds interesting. Well, that's certainly one way to prioritize. <laughs> Let's go. Excellent. You go towards the only thing that looks like a smithy within your eyesight, uh, black smoke billowing from what looks like a forge. As you pass through the village, nobody seems to be taking as much note of you as you expected. They all seem pretty unimpressed, and that might be due in part to the fact that they're all very different races. You see elves, dwarves, gnomes, dragonborn, everything. Anything you know, there's there's one of them. The only thing you haven't seen is any of the more bizarre races like the Prescus. But, nevertheless, they seem unimpressed by your presence, but somewhat hopeful by the fact that they've got heroes here. Or what they think are heroes. <laughs> what a beautiful and diverse civilization. When you come to the smithy, you see, as he described, a pink and cream-skinned lizard folk. He's holding a large hammer in one hand, and he seems to be laughing as he gestures at a friend of his. Are you Reth? Right? Here. Ah, <laughs> oh, you must be the heroes. I'm very excited to have you here. Cure, friend. Uh, I gotta ask, why would a lizard person move to such a cold place? Must be miserable. That's why I'm a smithy. <laughs> as oh. long as I'm standing by the fire, I feel great. If I walk about 30 feet that way, I'll probably pass out. I sleep by the forge most nights. I see. Every boss's dream. <laughs> 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 that sounds very comfortable. That is. Until I start hearing weird noises. What kind of weird noises? That's what got me. That's probably one of the big... That's kind of how it all started. About a month back, uh, I heard some people rustling around in my shop. So I get up. And I see him. Looks like some kind of monster. Some kind of big, thick, furry thing with claws. It screeched at me and then it ran away towards the ruins over there. I mean, we were told that there were no native life forms, so I, I, don't even, I didn't even know what to expect. Did anything go missing? Uh, here and there, I'll find myself missing a key tool or something. It's no big deal. I can handle, I can handle it. We got backups, but I don't know. If we keep going missing, we, we got to charge up the old gate beacon. That's a pain in the ass. What about missing people? That's something we can't solve as quickly. I mean, you expect some deaths. There's always some new diseases, especially when you're dealing with uh, new local life forms, and we've been having to hunt a lot to supplement our uh, rations. But uh, so far, no diseases. Everything's been pretty safe, but we weren't expecting folks to go missing. That's usually something that happens in forests and whatnot when you got predators. But here we haven't seen any sign. Interesting. Honestly, uh, Felsa's been a... Bigger help than I thought. She's a pain in the ass, but she's the merchant. She brought a bunch of stuff here, hoping to sell it to us, and we were expecting her to kind of, you know, squeeze us for money. But she hasn't done it. She's given everything freely, even though they've been stealing stuff from her. Where are these runes you spoke of? Uh, you should have seen them when you were coming down the hill. Uh, they're just at the base of the mountain. I see. I was distracted by the cold. <laughs> they got a little vineyard over there. It seems like the fruits take well enough, but we're trying to avoid eating anything natural until we've done a full survey. But yeah, sorry I can't be of more help. I think um I think you're better off talking to talking to Loper. He's uh he's a funny fella. 
but uh, he'll 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 warm up to you. How tall was he, this figure? Oh. What? Hal laughs because he said he'll warm up to you. <laughs> it's a lizard person. How tall was this creature? The creature? Uh, the thing I saw, pretty big. I'd say maybe like six feet or more. It looked kind of humanoid, but I don't I don't know. Like I said, there's no there's no surface dwellers here. What this screech sound like? Uh, real high. Can you do one? I can't. Sorry. Okay. All right. Well, you can try. It's fair enough. It was higher than that. Okay. I thought that was very good. <laughs> Perfect. Shall we go and see Loper or Miss Felsa? I think going to Felsa, this merchant would be good. Perhaps she also has more warm clothes. Yes. Um, Reth mentioned that some of her items had gone missing. I, I don't understand why a creature would be stealing tools, but maybe... Maybe that will help paint the picture. Maybe the creature's trying to build something. When you arrive at the collection of warehouses in the small kiosk-like storefront that Thalsa seems to have set up, you see a woman standing at the counter. She's a human female, as described, with short brown hair and a heavy scar across her nose, somewhat disfiguring her lip. She's got a very scrawny build, and she seems to be uh, micromanaging something that a nearby elf is doing. Look, if you can't dig a well, I'll dig it myself. Sorry, madam. It's it's, it's just the, the ground is so hard and frozen. I just, I can't. Fine, you do it. You know what? You do it. He drops the shovel he's carrying. She goes over and starts pounding away at the dirt to break it up a bit. Digging a well is a lot of work. Yes, it is. And quite frankly, I'm tired of having everybody do bad work. Uh, might we have you take a quick break to speak with us? Talk while I'm working. He looks to Penny. <laughs> <laughs> who is, in fact, charming. We are to understand that some of your things have gone missing. That they have? Even though I've been very friendly and very welcoming and given everybody everything they needed, they're still managing to steal from me. Everybody insists that it's some creature in the night. The only creature I know here is the creature of laziness. That sounds very hard, and I'm so sorry to hear that. What kind of things have gone missing? Odds and ends. Mostly things like equipment. Lots of uh, metallic things. Can't even imagine why. Most of that stuff's free for rent. A lot of the work crews already have plenty. It's not like anybody needs it for themselves. What are they going to do? Go off and build a log cabin somewhere in the distance? Idiots. That sounds very strange. This uh, corroborates what Reth was saying. If this creature or these creatures are stealing uh, tools, supplies. May I ask, what kind of metal do you use for these things? Mostly just iron. Iron and brass and things like that. Whatever we can get our hands on. Breath does what he can. He's one of the best workers we've got. One of the only good workers. I have to say, I don't think it's a creature of laziness that's sealing the tools. It just doesn't seem very in character. <laughs> but you're a funny one. Breath described to us these creatures that you are dubious of. They sounded quite bestial and shrieking. Perhaps that was just his imagination. I can't fathom that kind of creature stealing complex devices unless they had some sort of need for them. Like I said, I don't necessarily believe any of this nonsense. I sent my boy up some time ago, young elven lad. His name's Perald. He's a bard, and I don't even know why he came here in the first place, but I sent him on a quest just just to get him off my back. Told him to do a survey up the mountain. Usually I can hear his flute playing at all hours of the night, but I haven't heard night nor hair of him, nor flute for that matter. You sent him to the mountains and not the ruins. Correct. Well, I mean, you have to go past the ruins to get to the mountains. Understood. Unless you're climbing up the broadside. How long ago is that? This is about two weeks ago. Hal's going to lean over to Penny and say, I've 
Penny, be careful, mate. It sounds like maybe they don't like flutes. And I give you a knowing nod. <laughs> if you're going to keep entertaining your nonsense about creatures, go and talk to Loper. That seems like it might be the thing to do. Let's um, take a disciplined approach and talk to everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, what do you use for currency around here? Gold. Oh, well, that's fortunate. Bear teeth. <laughs> Though, honestly, you'll do better with barter. What kind of supplies do you sell? Whatever you need. If we were to travel into the ruins in the hills to follow up on these strange doings, would you say we are equipped enough or would we need more? Thin clothes. You could probably do it with something a little thicker, but I don't think you'll need much of it if you're going to be inside a lot of the time. Yes, it seems we underestimated quite the cold level that there was in this place. Aye. Here. She walks into one of the smaller warehouses and comes back out with four big, thick cloaks. Where are these while you're wandering around? No good to us if you catch a cold and die. True enough. How much do we owe you? Nothing. Just return them when you're done. I'm not part of this colony, but can I just say that I greatly admire your generosity and philanthropy. It's not generosity. Once we're done here and everything's established, they're going to need to trust me. And that trust is going to be important for me to be able to gouge them on prices. Right? That's what merchants are, right? Price gougers? No, I'm here for the community. Like any good colonist. Just admiring your moral. Mm. I care more about pragmatism than morality. Off you go. I don't know what that means. And Hal leaves. (laughs) And he snuggles up in the warm blanket and continues on. You find Loper, the man they described as a dwarf cat thing, and that's exactly what he is. It looks as though he's a half-breed between a tabaxi and a dwarf. Oh, it's a munchkin. He seems to be guiding men in flattening out some ground and digging a trench nearby, as well as what looks like leveling an area and then digging it out for uh, what looks like a basement or a cellar. As you approach, he kind of looks a little nervous and then shies down a little bit. Keeps doing his work. Greetings. Are you called Loper? I am. We are Team Gold Dragon from the LUQ. Oh, um, okay. They've sent us to solve your problems, your missing people, your missing supplies. Hmm, okay. I was told that you had experience with some of these incidents. Hmm, I don't know. Whether that's, um, uh, related. Any information would be helpful. It, um, well, I, I suppose there's, um, borosites. Is what? Sorry? Uh, um, borosites? There's borosites. Were these dug by you? No. Um, some of them by, uh, claws. And others, uh, by, by, uh, something like impact. But there's also cave-ins far afield, and um, I don't know. I advised against this particular site. I thought it was a bad idea, but uh, they insisted that they had no better site, and I said perhaps we should not come here at all, and they said, too bad. So here we are. Right. Will. Where are these burrow sites? All about. I imagine there's some kind of underground creature. Um, I have no, I've not seen any evidence other than that. Uh, usually this kind of life makes itself uh, known. But I see nothing. So I think if there were anything uh, like uh, a burrowing creature, they would likely have tunnels, especially with disturbed 
Earth, but you look out uh, where the planes open up a little, and you can see there's no there's no sign of burrowing or anything like that. Interesting. If it's anything, it would be something in the mountains. So you believe that there is perhaps quite a few subterranean openings beneath the mountain? Maybe. I could not say. But if you were looking for a cause or a source or a place, that would be the place I would go. Have you seen any creatures? No. Just the tunnels? Only Reth. Reth's the only one who claims to have seen anything. Uh, Some people have mutterings and they say they hear things at night, but I don't know how much I believe them. Hmm. I'm sorry, I can't be of more help. No, you are of plenty help. Has anything gone missing? Oh, things go missing all the time. We just assumed that the uh, screening process for colonists wasn't very good and that some of them are just thieves. Which is odd, because if you're going to steal something, you need a place to sell it, and we're the only people you can sell it to. And it's not like anybody's using the gate. Yes, of of course. What kinds of things have gone missing here? Um, well, uh, mostly things like, uh, Magitek, anything. We have some, we have some light helmets and things like that, or we have, uh, a few uh, automated systems or what have you. Things that we picked up on the hub worlds, but... Uh, nothing that nothing that a creature could use. Well, certainly dealing with an intelligent foe. Yes. Hmm. Well, we have a place. We have a series of clues. We have a direction with which to travel and new warm cloaks with which to battle the cold. No time like the present. I suppose we may as well get going. I think perhaps if we head to the ruins and then onward towards the mountains looking for clues along the way. I'm inclined to agree. Looking at the sky, do I have a general idea of what time it is or how long till sunset? It's funny you should ask. As you look to the sky, something you have not yet truly done, you see that the full of it is overcast. As far as the eye can see, a thick, heavy, cloudy overcast. But what stands out rather noticeably, more than any other place you've been, is how low the clouds are. So low you feel like you could almost touch them. Uh, Loper, how long do we have until nightfall? Oh, um, probably, uh, let's see. I mean, it's just morning now, so plenty. Hours? That's hard to determine here. Uh, I think we have about a 30-hour day, and uh, if I had to place the time, I'd say we're at hour 10. And does the night in this place grow much colder than the day? Yes, but it's warming up now. You have time. Very well. Let us make haste to the runes, then. Yes, I think that is uh, the next thing to do. As you march back through the village, towards the ruins, the colonists around you take more warm notice of you, realizing that you do actually intend to help. They nod to you as you pass. A young man walks up to you and hands you what looks like a small fur bundle with what looks like a jerky inside of it. And all of them seem somewhat somber as you make your way towards the ruins and the mountains, oppressed by the low-hanging clouds of this foreign land. Welcome back to The Experience. With Battle Axis quests temporarily on hiatus until the next contraction, we'll be focusing on edited coverage of Metal and Mana's unplanned adventure. 
This just in, as has been the case with the Adrachai's other victims, resurrection, even true resurrection, has proven impossible. There have been outside cases of bodies destroyed in the Axis being returned to life. However, there is no clear explanation as to why the souls of those fallen in error do not return to their material plane or axial plane. Despite extensive research, we are no closer to an answer. I hate to say it, but this is why the Battle Axis is considered to be the greatest challenge. Like a giant cosmic honeypot that flies can enter but cannot always leave. Death in the material and axial planes can get mulligans thanks to clerical magification. And those lost may meet their maker in that great big bounce house in the sky. But here, unless the remains are collected and appropriate rites performed, the fate of the soul is unknown. Due to the grim nature of this day, our broadcast will be cut short with this word from the Commissioner. It is with a heavy heart that we acknowledge the loss of Roland Breakbridge. Hardtack to his teammates. Any words I might conjure would be of little comfort to those who loved him. But rest assured, his legacy will live on in the hearts of fans throughout the cosmos. Thank you, Roland, and may you meet whatever fate awaits you in the warmth and courage for which you are so well remembered. Join us next time on The Experience. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Cold. <laughs> Chilly. <laughs> Sub zero. Frigid. I imagine Iavos is cold, like in a nice summer day. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah, he's old. He's the he's the sort of person that comes into the restaurant when it's like seventy five, and they're like, "It's cold. Can you turn the AC off, please?" Right. He's <laughs> perpetually sweatered. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Who do Michael do? I can do. Yeah. Michael can do. Thank you for listening to this episode of the League of Ultimate Questing Battle Axis. We're going to go around the table introducing the players, starting with myself. I'm Michael Loving. I play Halifan Orison Jr. You can follow me on Twitter at OG underscore Captain underscore Mel. Professional dungeon master, periodic voice actor. Catch me in this show on God's Fall. And on rare occasions on Greg's new Land Beyond the Mists. West March's campaign on Twitch. Nice. Beautiful. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Details for those things on my Twitter at all times. My name is Angelo Kaluag. I play the level three rogue Gaspar, who is headless. He is of the Phantom subclass as well. Guess if you want to find me on social media, you can probably follow me on Instagram. My tag is if you don't know, now you know Angelo. <laughs> is it really? It is. It's oh, the okay. longest tag I have. <laughs> you kids I, lighten up, man. Give me some energy. We're at the I end of the episode. Give me some zest. I can't believe that they would let me have that tagline. It's too long. It's too <laughs> long. Okay. How's that for excitement, Zach? Uh, can I get uh, the jazz read, please? Uh, up next is jazz plus jazz <laughs> equals jazz. <laughs> Okay, and over here, it's Dana Ebert. I do a bunch of stuff. I'm a pro DM. I've written for Paizo. Uh, you can check me out on Twitter at MistressDanaRPG. You can also see all the different things I'm up to on the uh, Luck Cast page. But I play Penelope Farthing, the level one bard, level two Phalok. Dana's the most professional out of the group of us, I think. True. Yeah. Definitely. 
My name's Law. I play Ayavos Isadora. I almost said I'm the dungeon master. That hasn't been true in over 10 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Just a force of habit. Uh, witness to the Withering Acre, level two wizard, level one cleric, also creative director. And again, if you want to find any info about the cast on the LUQ page, the cast tab has links to all of the relevant things they want to share with you. And I'm Zach. That's true. Hi, Zach. <laughs> Accurate. Dungeon Man. I'm the Dungeon Master. I'm also the producer for Slapdash Studios. I'd also like to thank uh, Bree Golden of GoldenStylist.com for their work on making our battle maps, which we have not even used this chapter yet. So. Not yet, but no. there's one on the table and it's upside down. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying there's going to be a fight? <laughs> no, just a map. Spoilers. I just assumed, I just assumed that the white paper in the middle of the battle map meant that it was snowy and we are going to find some snow. I also want to thank Hedegar the Editor for his fantastic work making these episodes so good. Yeah. Good. And leaving the outros the fuck alone. Yes. And, and so you get to enjoy all of this. It's true. Imagine imagine an hour and a half of this. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's he is legend much, here. Yeah. We only sound good because of because of him. Without him, we'd all sound like this the whole time. The whole time. Um, which some people would be into, um, but more people wouldn't be. Anyway, thank you for joining us for this episode of League of Ultimate Questing. New episodes go live every fucking Monday. Monday, Monday, Monday. Monday. Mm-hmm. Only on fucking Mondays. Yes. Uh, on celibate Mondays, nothing happens. Yeah. You can also check out uh, the LUQ.com for links to all of the social medias. On those social medias, I believe you can find links to the Twitch page where we do live premieres sort of, yep. of the episodes, which are technically out for the podcast earlier. But hey, you know, you can watch the show with the community and speaking of the community on the LUQ.com, you can also find the Discord, which if you enjoy the show, chances are you'd enjoy the fan base as well. I'd be surprised if you didn't. I'd, I would be too, because they're very enjoyable folk. They are lovely people, and we're there. It's I'll n- say hi to you. It's not like Discords. Discords suck. Every Discord I've been on has been balls. Ours rules. Yeah, I joined the Subnautica Discord the other day. I was in it for five minutes and muted the entire thing. Yep. Um, I haven't done that with LUQ yet. So anyway, there is a spoilers thing. You do not have to be caught up on the podcast before you join the Discord. That's been a common thing that people have mentioned, so we want to let you know. Please just join. Other than that, thank you for joining us. We'll MVP. see you. N- what? MVP? Well, Oh, you're right. Oh, shit, yeah. Quick MVP quick, quick play MVP. of the game. Who's the play of the game? Uh, there weren't a lot of plays, co- were there? Co- no, uh, I guess I guess there weren't. Uh, the, the coffee preparation. Ah, yeah. the, the baristing. The bar- a good barista. <laughs> Xerxes the hero. barista. It is the best coffee around. That's yeah. the best so, naked coffee I've ever had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Damn fine. What about MVP? How about um, how about Xerxes' daughter for making all that art? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, she wasn't even in the episode, but that was some pretty good trippy art. I pictured walking in there like being in this restaurant on acid would fucking suck. <laughs> or rule, depending on who you are. I, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to put my money on. Stuff. Drink strong and have coffee, and maybe you'd get a similar experience. I liked I liked Reth. I liked Reth too. Actually, yeah, I did too. <laughs> He Anyways, a, he was a breath of fresh air. I, uh, I wrote down jovial, friendly. And I was like, done. Good. Two words for the same thing. <laughs> yeah, two, two, two synonyms. Oh, jovial is enthusiastic and, and energetic. Friendly is sociable. Right. Thank you. Anyway, the next time you use a thesaurus, we wish you luck. 